friends and colleagues, and welcome to episode 69 of Dermosphere, the podcast by dermatologists, for dermatologists, and for the dermatologically curious. I am one of your hosts. My name is Luke Johnson. I am a pediatric dermatologist and general dermatologist with the University of Utah. And joining me, of course, is... This is Michelle Tarbox. I'm an associate professor of dermatology and dermatopathology at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center in beautiful, sunny Lubbock, Texas. Our mission on Dermosphere is to keep you updated with discussions about some of the latest research in dermatology coming direct to your AirPods so that you can listen to us instead of having to read articles or flip through tables of contents and things like that. And we've got a very special episode for our 69th episode here. This is the 2021 Dermy Awards. <laughs> so Michelle and I are here on the red carpet greeting all of the nominees and celebs as they arrive in their stretch limos. There's all kinds of cameras going off. Michelle, I like your, your fancy dress. You look lovely in your very nice formal attire. And so of course, many sequins. I've got the like little Miss America crown here. It's very exciting. Um, yes. So back in 2019, which was when we began Dermosphere, at the end of the year, we decided it might be fun to give out some awards in categories that we invented to some of the articles that we had discussed. And we still think that was a good idea, which is why we're still doing it. So if you're interested in the previous Dermy Awards, in episode 2019, sorry, the 2019 Dermy Awards are found in episode 17, but it wasn't nearly as big a deal back then, so we just sort of stuck it at the end of a normal episode, so the end of episode 17 is where you'll find it. But last year we figured out what was going on, and all of episode 43 is the 2020 Dermy Awards. And now here we are for the 2021. By the way, if you just want to see the winners of the previous Dermy Awards, you can also go to our website at dermospherepodcast.com and click on favorites up on the top, and then you can find it there. So Luke, another year has passed, and we've had 24 episodes of Dermosphere, and we've reviewed 117 articles. That is a lot. And so today we've picked the best in 10 categories for the 2021 Dermies. I'm so excited. How about you? I could not be more excited unless this were a different award show. <laughs> but this one's still pretty exciting. Interestingly, since we began in the summer of 2019, the vast majority of Dermosphere's existence has been during COVID world, which is a sobering thought. Quite sobering. But, you know, if you want to pop a festive beverage to enjoy the 2021 Dermies, we shall enjoy with you. I've got my kombucha here, which is somewhat festive, in a Halloween mug because it's my favorite mug. <laughs> Decaf green tea over here. All right. Well, do you want to get started, Luke? I definitely want to, you to get started. So we're going to start with the first category, which is the coolest thing we learned. Um, this category has some great nominees in it. We have an article about demodicosis in children from episode 46. We have an article on behavioral economics for dermatology for up to episode 57. Bascule syndrome from episode 63. And treating atopic dermatitis with your own bacteria from episode 66. So as you might remember, the demodicosis in children was the one where we talked about the fact that if you have pustules on noses, think demodicosis, which I think was super cute. That might have been one of the first emergences of flavoflavonoid, the derm path mascot. Yes. 
unfortunately, we didn't have a category for best mascot, but you know it would have been Flava Flavonoid. I mean, Behavioral Economics and Dermatology in episode 57 tried to apply the properties of behavioral economics to patient noncompliance with topical therapeutics. The Bascule Syndrome article from episode 63 talked about the emerging entity, which is getting so much attention. It is so hot right now. Hashtag so hot. And that was talking about the beer spots, the beer anemic spots, cyanosis, and urticaria-like eruption in children, often. Um, and then demodicosis, we spoke about previously. And then the treating atopic dermatheon bacteria was a very interesting study where the authors put together a personalized topical cream formulated from coag-negative staph that had antimicrobial activity against staph aureus and gave that to each patient to use, which actually helped improve their atopic dermatitis and reduce staph aureus colonization. So are you ready for the winners, Luke? So many cool things that we learned. How can we possibly pick... Well, we picked a runner-up and a winner, so in a way, we didn't pick just one. So the runner-up is <laughs> Behavioral Economics in Dermatology. And so Yay! this This is from episode 57 from the JAD, an article by Michael J. Woodbury and Lord Perez Shanda. And they looked at those techniques of anchoring, decoy effect, framing, and financial and social incentives to help improve patient compliance. They had a great table that summarized those different principles of behavioral economics. They're table one. Good for review. And I thought they did a beautiful job with this. And then their winning study was the treating atopic dermatology with your own bacteria. Yay! Yay! Coolest thing we learned. Treating atopic dermatitis with your own bacteria. Episode 66 uh, from uh, JAMA Dermatology by authors Tarukai Nakatsuji and Faiza Shafiq. And I was very impressed with these authors' innovative idea to put together a specialized cream from their own coag-negative staff to help improve control over staph aureus and control their atopic dermatitis, sort of a bespoke skin cream, as it were. Congratulations, authors. Enjoy your Dermy Awards. For our next category, last year we had a category called Best COVID-Related Article, and we thought about running it back this year, but decided that everybody is freaking sick of talking about covid hopefully not freaking sick with covid because uh if you are uh condolences but we thought we would make up a related category most zeitgeistian article <laughs> michelle you're the german speaker do you want to explain what uh, zeitgeistian means the zeit is the german word for time and geist is kind of the german word for like spirit so it's basically that the zeitgeist is the spirit of the times so it's something that kind of speaks to the era that we're currently living in and we just turned it into an adjective so the nominees for most zeitgeistian article this year are COVID vaccine cutaneous reactions. Yes, even though we might be sick of talking about COVID, seems like it's still important sometimes. We talked about those reactions in episode 53. In episode 57, behavioral economics for dermatology, again, nominated for this category as well. In episode 59, we talked about dermatology memes. What could be more zeitgeistian than memes? They're all over the place. In episode 64, we talked about cannabinoids for itch. Pretty zeitgeistian. And in episode 66, we talked about unibrows in dermatology. Hey, Luke, I have a question for you. Sure. When you're, when you're using the internet, how do you use it? How? I'll have to tell you how I use it. I browse. <laughs> great. It's too bad we don't have an episode for best joke or category. Best, uh, 
Best dad joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that. Well, I can't confirm that that wouldn't be a nominee. So the runner-up for most Zeitgeistian article is... Thank you. COVID vaccine cutaneous reactions. So still cool to learn about some of this stuff. This was in episode 53. This was an international registry that gathered data about COVID vaccine cutaneous reactions. Good news is that none of them were serious, even patients who were rechallenged. From most to least common in terms of the vaccine reactions, there were delayed large local reactions. That was the most common. Second most common was non-delayed local injection site reactions, and then urticaria and morbilliform reactions. And then there were just a handful of pretty uncommon reactions, including pernio, um, reactions in cosmetic filler that were already present in a patient, zoster, HSV, and pityriasis rosea-like eruptions. Good news, supportive care in about four days cleared your reaction regardless. And the winner for most Zeitgeistian article... Cannabinoids for itch. Everybody likes talking about cannabinoids these days. Why not for itch? So this was out of the Jad Case Reports in episode 64. Authors include Morin and Almaria. The title of the author, the article is Neuropathic Itch Treated with Oral Cannabinoids, a case series. And it was a case series of three patients with neuropathic itch treated successfully with dronabinol, which is a synthetic cannabinoid. And the article also nicely reviewed other data supporting the use of cannabinoids for pruritus. Enjoy your well-earned Dermy Award, cannabinoid fans. You know, cannabinoids are just fun to say, you know, so speaking of things that are fun to say, we're going to move on to our coolest author name category. So we had a lot of contenders for this category this year, but we picked the very best. And our authors are in not any specific order, except for the order they showed up in the episodes. Um, Dr. M.E. Lacouture, I thought that was such a cute name, Lacouture, very nice, um, was an author on the Dermatology Cancer Treatment Adverse Effects, Hands, Feet, and Alopecia, episodes 44, 45, and 46. This is one of our mini-series here on Dermosphere. Dr. Jeffrey Z. Hu on the article about TNF inhibitor-induced psoriasis from episode 45. So that's- One might say... Jeffrey who? That doesn't sound like that cool of a name. No offense, Jeffrey. But the joke is that it's Doctor Who! Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and I believe one of uh, the Doctor Who's won last year for this category. Yes, and we have another Doctor Who as well. So Dr. X Who from the Aplasia Cutis Congenita article from episode 47. So both of them are Doctor Who! Hey, Doctor Who! Very exciting. Um, our next author in contention is Kurt W. Berger, from the article on pediatric LSNA and the fact that it persists beyond childhood that we covered in episode 46. And then we have Dr. Jacob Beer, who was one of the authors for the teledermatology pros and cons article. We actually had a guest on the episode. It was Dr. Edward Hadler for this article in episode 51. Not to correct you too much, but Edward Hadler is a medical student, not a doctor yet, but he's applying this year. So everyone look out for his application. My apologies, student Dr. Edward Hadler. And then Melissa Laughter, uh, who was very nicely an author of the Derm Lifestyle Modifications article we presented in episode 55. And Dr. Eden Lake, who presented on SJS sequelae in physical and psychological forms in episode 63. Are you ready for the runner-up, Luke? Such cool names. I am ready. Such cool names. All right. So our runner-up is Eden Lake 
who is the author for the SJS Sequelae, Physical and Psychological, from episode 63. Sounds like the author's name for some kind of romance novel series. Or a Eden very well Lake. Or a beautiful place that you could go visit. Like, it's a gorgeous name. It really is such a pretty name. The Eden Lake, yes. Mm-hmm. I also like your uh, ro- romance novel author. I think, you know, name. it could be beautiful either way. It's a wonderful name. And then are you ready for our winner? I was born ready. You know, you almost made the sound of this for this because we actually had a a tie here and it's a tie that goes with itself. So our two winners for coolest author name are Jacob Beer and Kurt W. Berger. I mean, if you're going to have a beer, you might as well have a burger. So congratulations to those two authors and for their excellent work on their articles about the teledermatology and the pediatric LSNA. I hope that doctors Burger and Beer get together for burgers and beer to celebrate their victory here. Our next category is Most Intellectually Interesting Article. So we had some great ones here, of course, because obviously we talk about cool stuff on the podcast. So in episode 53, topical steroids positively impact biomarkers. So if you put just topical steroids on your baby's skin, you can actually detect change in systemic biomarkers. Lisinopril for COVID-induced filler swelling in episode 59. So we, this was briefly mentioned in the COVID vaccine reactions that sometimes people who have filler in their face, if they get COVID or if they get a vaccine, that filler can swell. And why and what to do about it was kind of the idea behind this article. And was intellectually interesting. And the final nominee in this category from episode 62 was that topical sirolimus can be effective for nevus sebaceous and epidermal nevi. This was a uh, little case series about this, but when, Michelle, when you and I were going over our potential nominees, I said, oh yeah, I forgot that topical sirolimus could work for those things. And then I sent myself a reminder to contact a family to talk to them about it because their child has a pretty obvious nevus sebaceous on the face so maybe we can reduce the appearance all right runner-up for most intellectually interesting article (laughs) topical steroids positively impact biomarkers from episode 53 authors include michaelier and irvine and the title of that article is topical corticosteroids normalize both skin and systemic inflammatory markers in infant atopic dermatitis it was from the british journal of dermatology <laughs> so they were babies with moderate or severe atopic dermatitis. There were also some healthy controls. And the babies with atopic dermatitis were just treated with standard of care, like topical steroids and stuff. And that before and after treatment, both stratum corneum samples from tape stripping and blood samples were taken from the babies and evaluated for biomarkers. And as I mentioned, the really interesting thing is that the blood biomarkers were different after treatment. The authors speculate that perhaps the aberrant TH2 cytokines from the skin in atopic dermatitis then get into the blood, and perhaps they can incite a similar response in other tissues, which leads to the development of asthma and food allergies. And they postulate that perhaps early treatment of atopic dermatitis could forestall the atopic march. Pretty interesting, but not as interesting as our winner. No offense. The winner of the most intellectually interesting article is Lysinopril for COVID-induced filler swelling. The authors are Munavali and Geronimus et al. The title, Oral Angiotensin Converting Enzyme Inhibitors for Treatment of Delayed Inflammatory Reaction to Dermal Hyaluronic Acid Fillers Following COVID-19 Vaccination, a Model for Inhibition of Angiotensin 2-Induced Cutaneous Inflammation. 
Even the title is intellectually interesting. This is out of the JAD case reports. This might be the first year that an article from the JID didn't win. Most interesting article, by the way. Sorry, JID. Guess you got to step it up. <laughs> Alternatively, props to these other article, other journals for publishing quite intellectually interesting articles. So it took me a while to sort of wrap my head around exactly what's going on here. So if uh, my synthesis here is confusing, I apologize. But this article included four cases of women who had hyaluronic acid filler. And then later, they got the COVID vaccine, and then their fillers swelled. Lisinopril at 5 to 10 milligrams daily led to resolution of the swelling within days. So, the COVID virus has a protein, which we all know and love right now, because it's called the spike protein. And that's how a lot of these mRNA vaccines work. They cause your own cells to churn out some spike proteins so that you can develop antibodies to them. So, this spike protein binds to ACE2 angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, on cell surfaces, and this is what allows the virus to get into the cell. And since the spike protein is bound to ACE2, and there's not enough ACE2 around to do its normal thing, and its normal thing is to convert angiotensin 2 to its metabolites, which are apparently and confusingly called angiotensin 1 through 7. So it's weird to me that angiotensin 2 gets converted to angiotensins 1 through 7, but there it is. And so because of that, there's too much angiotensin 2, because it's not getting broken down by the ACE2. Remember, the ACE2 is all bound up by the spike protein. And there's not enough of its metabolites, because we can't make them. And all of that together seems to increase edema, perhaps through activation of the CD44 glycoprotein, which has an affinity specifically for hyaluronic acid. So perhaps that is why this filler reaction occurs. And lisinopril can help because it blocks production of angiotensin 2. So there. I love it. We thought that was intellectually interesting. I think so too. You know, very intellectually interesting set of articles there. Things that are quite food for thought. So we have our next category, which is somewhat similar, but I think a little bit more on the side of prompting further research. Um, so this is our most thought-provoking articles. And they are topical metformin for CCCA from episode 46, this was a very interesting article where they looked at topically um, prepared metformin cream at a 10% concentration used three times per week and then increased to once daily with the treatment of CCCA. Um, we looked also at steroid addiction with Dr. Peter Leo from episode 47, where they look at what can occur in periods of time when patients have had long-term use of moderate to high-intensity topical steroids and what symptoms might ensue after that. We looked at collagenase for cellulite treatment from episode 59. This was an interesting article describing the new product that came out this past year called Quo, um, which is a collagenase that is made uh, by histiolyticum. So it's Collagenase Clostridium Histiolyticum AAES, and that was used to improve the appearance of cellulite, which was generally well tolerated. To learn more about this article before I presented it, I joined the layperson arm of this product, which is called, intriguingly, the House of Booty. Not beauty, but booty. So the House of Booty, of which I'm still a member of, apparently, because I still get their emails. They have all kinds of cute topics. It is nice, though, they explain things like cellulite in a layperson's words. So I think that if you have a patient that's curious about the product, they too should sign up to be a member of the House of Booty. Not to brag, but I'm pretty sure I'm an honorary member. 
And then the final article in this category is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Atopic Dermatitis, which we presented in episode 60. And this utilized an internet-delivered cognitive behavioral therapy platform, which seemed to be efficacious for reducing symptoms of atopic derm and also didn't require significant resources. So it could potentially be a useful adjunct to treatment for patients with AD. Makes you think and also made the patients think. Mm-hmm. Makes you go, hmm. And so, with no further ado, our runner-up in this category is... Thank you, I couldn't get my tongue to go. So, our runner-up here is Topical Metformin for CCCA. So I am so proud of these articles. You know, so the cool thing about this article, which was put forward in JAD Case Reports by Drs. Um, Arroyo and Crystal Auch, I'm hoping I'm Aguk. I'm not sure if I'm saying this word, those names right. Agu, A-G-U-H. I'm going to assume that you're not. I'm probably not. But good try. I'm very grateful to these wonderful authors who had such a thoughtful preparation where they considered CCCA as a fibroproliferative disorder, and they wanted to look at the potential treatment of it with metformin because it has the potential of improving fibrosis in a, in a mouse model of fibroproliferative disease through mediation of adenosine monophosphate activated protein kinase, or AMP-K. And so they looked at utilizing this as a topical element. So metformin 10% cream was used three times per week, later increased to once daily, and they noted substantial regrowth in both patients that they tried this on. I think that considering the pathogenesis of this condition, and it's also potential linkage to other fibroproliferative diseases, such as uterine fibroids, might help yield new therapeutic outcomes. So this is our runner-up article. Very proud of these authors. Yay! Of course, you have to get topical metformin compounded, but I don't think it's very expensive. And I thought it was a very interesting way to kind of deliver that to the scalp. And then our winner in this category was... Steroid Addiction with Dr. Peter Liu and Dr. Zhongwei Huang. So this was in episode 47, and they talked about the entity that can occur after the use of moderate to high-intensity topical steroids for long periods of time, usually on the face. And I think if most of us think about our patients that have undergone that kind of treatment, we can think of people who have developed this condition. It's more common in women, and it can present because of the improper use of these topicals. I had a patient that I saw in residency that I still remember who'd been given clobetasol for another indication by another physician and had been using clobetasol as an eyelid primer for several years because she thought it just gave her such a nice smooth base for his for her eyeshadow. So I do think that, you know, we do need to consider these possibilities. And topical corticosteroid withdrawal could be suspected in patients who'd had prolonged use of the topical erythema and burning or itch. And patient education was extremely important to avoid improper usage, as well as finding out new therapeutics to help improve the patient's outcomes after they develop this condition. Plus, we're just big fans of Dr. Peter Leo. Very prolific pediatric and investigational dermatologist. Congratulations. Enjoy your Dermy Awards. Up next, we've got two image categories where we talk about the coolest and then the grossest image in articles that we discussed. Now, it came to my attention, Michelle, that this is, in fact, a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so we cannot actually show you these pictures. Also, I don't think we can post them on like our social media or website because of copyright issues. But we'll post a link to the articles. And if you want to check out the images, I'm sure it will be well worth your while. So we'll start with the coolest image category. So in episode 58, we discussed a case report of an entity they referred to as a xanthomatous nevus. It's sort of a lipoma plus a, well, I guess not a lipoma, a xanthoma plus a nevus smushed together. Kind of cool. In episode 61, we talked about the depiction of 
cupping vessels on ancient Greek coins. And there were pictures of these ancient coins in the dermatology literature. That's cool. In episode 61, we talked about SD Rife from acetaminophen. Cis, uh, what is it? Symmetric drug reaction something something Flexural exanthems. thank you it's yeah. like a baboon syndrome thing yeah um this patient had wine colored patches in his major intratriginous regions in episode 64 there were the best dermoscopy signs of melanoma actually a series of images in a big table showing you the best things to look for in melanoma and then also in 64 we talked about the fact that skin markings are often absent in cutaneous malignancies and then there were photographs of benign lesions with skin markings and malignancies without them. So useful reference there. Our runner up for the coolest image is Xanthomatous Nevis from episode 58. So this was in the JAD case reports. We've got a lot of winners from the JAD case reports. So good job on that journal editors. Authors include uh, authors Corbidou and D-O-C-I-U-T. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, the title is Xanthobitis nevus, a potential new entity. And this was a nevus with a yellow blob in the middle that turned out to be a nevus with a xanthoma in the middle. The patient had familial hypercholesterolemia. Michelle, you pushed for this one to win. Would you like to rhapsodize more about the appearance I, of this thing? I would. Thank you for the opportunity. So imagine, if you will, an isolated lesion with a creamy yellow center surrounded by a delicate pigmented network on a background of normal skin. Sounds this, like something I want to eat for dessert when you put it like that. This is the presentation of the Xanthomatous nevus. So I thought this was really interesting. Their hypothesis about why this occurred was also very interesting, that there might be some mild inflammation that occurs when you have a new nevus erupting in a young patient. Uh, so something that could be a cutaneous marker of a dyslipidemia. So I thought it was very cool. And the winner of the coolest image is the... The Ancient Coins. So from episode 61, the authors include Ashton and Level, and the title is Cupping on Ancient Greek Coins, a numismatic case series, and its relationship to dermatology from clinics and dermatology. They actually reviewed three different ancient Greek coins that depicted cupping vessels. So cupping is this traditional medicine approach where you like light a candle or light a match and then quickly like put a cup on somebody and it creates this partial vacuum and it creates this very characteristic giant circular ecchymosis on somebody and it's supposed to do all kinds of nice things for you depending on the culture it comes from i guess and this article was discussing about how long that this cupping practice has existed because these coins are from like 2500 years ago and how interesting it is that it's persisted to the modern age pretty much unchanged and that it also seems to have originated in various different culture sets. I think the coolest picture is the first coin that they show, which is from about the year 200 BCE. It shows on one side the head of Asclepios, god mm -hmm. of medicine, mm -hmm. and on the other side, a cupping vessel, as well as Asclepios' wife, Epiony, who is feeding a goose. <laughs> I love that. I think that's amazing. So those are all wonderful. Eat. I mean, you know, they, they, they got to eat somehow, right? So I thought those were all wonderful, interesting images. So in dermatology, um, you know, you might think in the lay public that grossest image would be some kind of a, you know, dishonor. But really in dermatology, 
if you can gross out a dermatologist, you've really got something because it's hard to gross us out. So grossest image is actually a title of great honor that should be coveted and sought after in dermatology. So with no further ado, I shall present the award nominees for the category of grossest image in all of the articles that we reviewed. So our article images were Necrotizing Neutrophilic Dermatosis from episode 47. This was an episode where they kind of tried to describe all of the different um, presenting types of neutrophilic dermatosis, how to recognize the different subtypes, and how to help improve the diagnosis and management of this condition. Tadalafil for flat necrosis presented in episode 66. This was a very interesting article that looked at patients who smoke specifically and how to improve graft outcome for these patients or flap outcome for these patients. Rosacea fulminans herpeticum, presented in episode 55, a great image describing the patient that had rosacea with a sort of eruptive uh, secondary exanthem of herpes in that significant rosacea fulminans. The grossest mental image would have been the fecal transplant for alopecia areata, which we presented in episode 54, in which a patient underwent fecal transplantation for other maladies, but achieved an improvement in his alopecia areata, and then scurvy for hairs in over-the-counter supplement article discussed in episode 44. Scurvy hairs. And uh, this patient who had the fecal transplant, I believe, took it as a capsule. I'm not 100% sure. So yeah, it's a capsule. It's a mental image. Just keep that in mind. Yes, but still, there's a thought there. And so our runner-up for this category was Tadalafil for flap necrosis. This was an article out of JAD Case Reports. Authors were Tarane Metin and Daniel Rivlin, and they looked at ways to improve flap outcomes in patients who smoke and have other mediators of poor prognosis. The image that I chose for this was the case number two image, um, figure number four, where it was a paramedian forehead flap that had developed dusky, violaceous discoloration on postoperative day three. If you've ever done a flap that starts to look like that, that is a gross image in your heart. You're like, oh no, but fantastically, they were able to resurrect it by the addition of Tadalafil to improve vascular flow. So great job for the authors there. And our winner in this category is <laughs> figure one from Necrotizing Neutrophilic Nervantosis. This was discussed on episode 47 and was an article out of the JAD put forward by authors Isabel Sanchez and Kanade Shinkai, who is just a wonderful person, by the way. Um, so this particular image was a patient that had myelodysplastic syndrome and developed a necrotizing lesion on his face, on his left malar cheek, and had necrotizing soft tissue changes that were originally suspected to, to be infection, but then found to actually be caused by pyoderma gangrenosum, and this was present because of the patient having a um, malignant neoplasm with associated necrotizing sweet syndrome and PG-like features. So he actually responded beautifully, so they also showed a post-treatment photo where he had recovered, but it was quite a, a remarkable image. So we should maybe change it to most remarkable image, perhaps, but it was a fantastic thing to see. I was grateful for the authors presenting that case. Obviously, no histology could win grossest image because uh, it's... It's micro, not gross. Get it? Okay, <laughs> we got seven categories down. There are still five to go, so we're a little bit past the halfway part. This is probably a good time to pause and go have a bathroom break or refresh your beverage. Welcome back. So our next category is most pimpable article. So pimping bell of course, is in the audience today. And thanks, Pimping Bell, he or she, it, they, <laughs> always rings when we have especially pimpable content. 
And of course, we have plenty of it to choose from. So we've got four nominees here. One from episode 48 is that psoriasis plus pityriasis rubra polaris together equals a condition called CAPE, C-A-P-E. In episode 48 and 49, we discussed an article about nutraceutical drug interactions. Yes, your nutraceuticals are not completely benign. They can interact with some drugs, which is often unrecognized or unknown to dermatologists. In episode 50, we discussed a newly recognized entity called Vexus syndrome, V-E-X-A-S, which can have cutaneous manifestations as well as some pulmonary things and some bone marrow things. It's pretty cool. And then we discussed natural products for atopic dermatitis, which we stretched over three episodes just because there was so much info in there. Episodes 57, 58, and 61. You can find that. So the runner-up for most pimpable article is natural products for atopic dermatitis. So uh, authors are Zeng and Wu et al. This is from Biomedicine Pharmacotherapy. And the title is A Comprehensive Review of Natural Products Against Atopic Dermatitis, Flavonoids, Alkaloids, Terpenes, Glycosides, and Other Compounds. So there's a whole lot of information in there. A lot of it is animal models only, or the data is pretty weak, or you can't find the product. So after reading the whole thing, though, the products out there that have some medical data saying they could be useful for atopic dermatitis are reasonably priced and are available, include Purarin from the Kudzu plant, either topically or PO, CoQ0? They called it CoQ0 in the article, but I feel like it's probably CoQ10, though it was used topically. A plant called Ophiopoganin, the uh, traditional Japanese name is Maidong, so topical application of Maidong can help your atopic dermatitis. There's an Epigallocatechin 3, EGC3. Is this what the kids are calling it these days, Michelle? <laughs> I think so, yes. <laughs> this is from green tea, and it was shown to be helpful topically. And finally, ginsenosides, which are from ginseng, topically or PO, could help for atopic dermatitis, potentially. And the winner for most pimpable article is... <laughs> Nutraceutical Drug Interactions, from episodes 48 and 49. The... Uh, first author here was Edward Hadler, again, applying this year, as well as a Dr. Matterall. This is from the International Journal of Dermatology, and the title is Drug Interactions of Natural Supplements in Dermatology, a Review. So some notable interactions that they reviewed are nicotinic acid plus statins leads to increased risk of myopathy and rhabdomyolysis. Horse chestnut plus warfarin leads to increased risk of bleeding. And acetylcysteine plus Many psych meds lead to differing concentrations of the psych meds, so watch out for that. And then polypodium leucotomus and turmeric can both potentially interfere with the CYP system. Congratulations! Enjoy your Dermy Awards, authors! Ooh, very exciting. Those are some great articles. I really enjoyed reading all of those. So one of the things that we have as our mission on Dermosphere is to improve everybody's daily practice. And so I know that sometimes when you're picking the articles, you're looking for things that are going to be impactful daily in patients' kind of clinics and in their, in their clinical experiences. So we have a couple of articles here in the category of Article Most Helpful in Daily Clinic. And so those articles are... Timolol for Wounds from episode 44. In this uh, publication, we talked about the fact that Timolol can help improve the hypergranulation tissue that can sometimes prevent a wound from healing properly. 
We went over over over-the-counter hair supplements, also in episode 44, discussing those different over-the-counter products that are available that are beneficial. Some of the big takeaways from this article were that biotin is really not that helpful unless a person is actually biotin deficient and can cause abnormalities in different kinds of laboratory tests that might be meaningful because some very important tests like troponins can be affected by high levels of biotin. We also talked about which over-the-counter and um, prescription supplements can be beneficial for hair loss. And we talked about Viviscal and Nutrafol being two of those that had a fair amount of data behind them that were beneficial with Viviscal coming out slightly on top there. And we also talked about the possibility of benefit from things such as um, pumpkin seed oil, which is a natural supplement that can have some micronutrients that can be beneficial for hair growth. And it's also quite easily accepted by my crunchy granola patients. We also talked about demodicosis in children. This is another one that had that um, kind of point of if you have pustular lesions in a child that you just can't get better, remember the demodicosis may be the cause. That was in episode 46. What's a good way to remember that again? Pustules on noses think demodicosis. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it works for not just kids, too. I've had adults where I feel like that's tipped me over the edge. Oh, me too. And I've had so many adults that I figured out actually had demodex-related blepharitis that improved significantly after just two pulses of oral ivermectin. And they'd been on, you know, different kinds of eye drops and topicals and all sorts of different therapies and, you know, oral doxycycline and topical cyclosporin had not gotten them better. And then two doses of ivermectin helped improve them significantly. So, um, and then suture cosmesis, which we discussed in episode 53, this talked about all the different ways that you can improve suture cosmesis, as well as some things that don't really make that much of a difference. We talked about Cheryl's triple threat for for dermatitis in episode 57. And this is a topical that's comprised of three different entities where you put together some zinc oxide paste, an antifungal agent, and then an anti-inflammatory to help improve diaper dermatitis. And then we talked about imaging in neurocutaneous disorders in episode 65 and the ALT-70, predicting lower extremity cellulitis in episode 67, where this was discussing the fact that if you have some different things you can take into consideration when you're looking at a patient and trying to determine if they do have cellulitis or not. And the ALT stands for asymmetry, which gives you three points, leukocytosis, which gives you one point, tachycardia, which gives you one point, and age greater than 70, which gives you two points. All of those are sort of bias you towards a diagnosis of cellulitis of the lower extremity instead of an inflammatory process. And with no further ado, the runner-up is <laughs> Demodicosis in Children. Um, this was a great article out of Pediatric Dermatology. The authors was, were Anna, okay, Aniella Douglas and Andrea Zanglian. And they talked about the fact that demodex mites are commensal inhabitants of the pilosebaceous unit. They're usually absent or present in only low numbers in childhood, but when they are present, they can cause a primary eruption or they can exacerbate underlying facial dermatoses. And so they described different types of presentations during childhood and how they responded to children. And they gave us that great little slogan, which is, if you have pustules on noses, think demodicosis. And the winner in the category of most helpful article in daily clinic is... Suture cosmesis. So as dermatologists, almost all of us cut on and suture people back together. This is an article from the JAD that we covered in episode 53 with authors Kevin Chow and Sheng Brian Zhang. And they discussed the fact that wound cosmesis is key to satisfaction for patients undergoing surgery. They wanted to look at how suture materials and different techniques could affect scar cosmesis. Takeaways from the article were that the subcuticular technique showed improved cosmesis with polypropylene, but worsened results with PG-910. 
um, with subcuticular and um, sutures with PG-910 and propylene. If you have those left in place versus remove the subcuticular sutures left in place with PG-910, were found to have superior cosmesis and polypropylene. They found, that con they found that continuous and interrupted sutures provide equivalent cosmesis, as do fewer and more widely spaced sutures, so 5 millimeters apart on the head and neck and 10 millimeters apart on the trunk. And they found that a single layer closure with su without superficial sutures, so deep sutures only, may provide cosmesis equivalent to that provided by a double-layered closure in the long term. They also found the sort of blasphemous finding, which we have hopefully not had anybody mail us any boxes of cat hair over, um, that wound-averting methods um, did not actually demonstrate necessarily significant improvement. So further studies, of course, are required for several of these areas, but we always do want to think about dogma, and we want to make sure that we're not just doing things because this is the way we've always done them. So I think that these are all important points to consider and ways we can help improve patient outcomes. That was a review that brought together a bunch of research that had been done, many of which we had already discussed in the podcast, so no surprise that we liked it. Congratulations on your well-earned Dermy Award for article most helpful in daily clinic, Suture Cosmesis. All right, our next category, we got three to go, is study I wish I had thought of myself. So, in episode 52, we discussed that microneedling for acne scars can be done with insulin or perhaps with platelet-rich plasma, and in this study, insulin worked better. In episode 56, we discussed video game dermatoses, so various ailments of the skin that can be associated with especially excessive video game playing. In episode 58, we discussed the use of deoxycholic acid for lipomas, so remember deoxycholic acids commercially available as kybella. Perhaps you can inject that into a lipoma to dissolve it away and save the patient a surgery. In episode 61, we discussed physician attire, which I am fairly soapboxy about, which is why I kind of wish I had thought it. Thought of it. This was a survey study of basically random people using Amazon MTurk about what they wanted doctors to wear. They want us to look nice. <laughs> and then episode 68, we talked about injectable doxycycline for baggy eyelids. That was just last episode. Um, also seems to work. And we also learned what a festoon was. So... The runner-up for study I wish I had thought of myself is the microneedling study from episode 52. Authors include Pawar and Singh. It's from the JAD, titled Microneedling with Autologous Platelet-Rich Plasma versus Microneedling with Topical Insulin in the Treatment of Post-Acne Atrophic Scars, a simultaneous split-face comparative study. And as I mentioned, the insulin led to better results than platelet-rich plasma and is also probably cheaper and easier since the patient doesn't have to get poked. And Michelle, as we've discussed, mm -hmm. you have actually done this and it wasn't too hard. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the study is not without flaws, and we discussed a comment and response in episode 63 as well. And then the winner of study, I wish I had thought of myself, should not be surprising, video game dermatoses. Of course we wish we thought of that. This is from doctors Kiraku and Galentis and is from the International Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine. The title is Skin in the Game, Video <laughs> Game Related Cutaneous Pathologies in Adolescents. So these same authors won this category last year for an article dated about bald movie villains and the depiction of baldness in popular media. 
So this video game dermatosis article included some highlights. There are a lot of repetitive motion type issues, you know, calluses in various parts of your hands from playing video games too much. Also, periorbital dark circles because you weren't sleeping, you're playing video games instead. And quite to my pleasure, one of the authors is photographed as somebody with periorbital dark circles from excessive video game playing in the article itself. And then my favorite video game dermatosis, ulcerative nintendinitis, <laughs> which is of historical interest only pretty much because this was from an old... Um, N64 game, I believe, Mario Party, where yes. there was a game where you had to spin the little joystick super fast, and people quickly discovered that if you spun it with your palm, you got it to spin a lot faster than with your thumb, and some people were so enthusiastic that they actually ulcerated their palm because they were spinning this so fast, and then Nintendo had to send out a bunch of protective gloves, so... Pretty awesome. Congratulations again, Doctors Kiraku and Glentis. You have earned it. All right. So we're getting to the biggest award categories here at the end of this award show. I hope everyone has enjoyed seeing everyone there in their beautiful ball gowns and their wonderful tuxedos. And now we're going to pre present for you the most impactful article category. So we have four nominees in this category. The first one is from episode 45, where we have TNF inhibitor-induced psoriasis. This is an article that discussed the fact that patients can have psoriasis induced by our TNF inhibitors and ways to help recognize this particular eruption. Episode 46, we discussed pediatric LSNA and the fact that it can persist beyond childhood. The authors of this study have been very communicative with us and have been a great um, continuing resource for taking care of these patients. In episode 50, we discussed antihistamines. Are they scary in the elderly? Quite possibly, yes. And in episode 55, we discussed short-term PO steroids carry risks in children. And the runner-up is... <laughs> Antihistamines, scary in the elderly. This is an episode 50 um, pick that we had from the JAD. The authors were Madison Grinnell and Daniel C. Butler et al. And they discussed the fact that first and second generation antihistamines can have unique influences on older adults and that we need to target these use of these medications to only specific conditions and also pay attention to comorbidities and concurrent medications. We also need to know things such as the fact that, for example, cetirizine, which is an over-the-counter antihistamine, can be sedating and is difficult to use sometimes in aging adults because of age-related decline of renal function, which can potentially increase the half-life of cetirizine and cause an excessive dosage. So you should dose this medication cautiously in older adults. Loratadine is considered non-sedating as well, but can have significant anticholinergic properties and should also be used judiciously, especially at higher doses. And they proposed a set of questions to ask elderly patients before you prescribe an antihistamine, which includes, do you have a history of glaucoma, prostate hyperplasia, or trouble with balance or memory? Do you have trouble emptying your bladder? Have you had changes in your vision or trouble seeing things on the side of the road while driving? Do you have a history of any serious fall? Are you taking any other antihistamine, TCA, or medications for overactive bladder? And do you take any medicines for sleep or pain to improve any kind of counter uh, indications or medication cross-reactions? And the winner in this category is... <laughs> the terrifying short-term PO steroids carry risks in children. This was from episode 55 and published in JAMA Pediatrics. The authors were... 
Chung Che Yao, and Hui Ju Sai. And this showed that corticosteroid bursts, which are commonly prescribed for children who have either respiratory or allergic conditions, can be associated with a 1.4 to 2.2 fold increased risk of GI bleeds, sepsis, and pneumonia within the first month after initiation of corticosteroid therapy. And that is attenuated during the subsequent 31 to 90 days. So prescribe those PO antihistamines with caution for elderly adults and prescribe those PO steroids with caution for pediatric patients. Yep. Terrifying. So congratulations on being the most impactful article, Steroids in Children Authors. All right, Michelle, we've come to it. Our final category, the best overall. So very exciting. We have uh, one, two, three, four nominees here. So in episode 45, we discussed that psoriasis treatment improves mortality an article I had been waiting for for some time because I was tired of surrogates about psoriasis treatment improving various other markers like intimal thickness and so on. So finally, we have learned that it improves the mortality of our patients. In episode 52, we discussed melanoma biomarkers and had some guests discussing various ways you can try to identify, prognosticate, diagnose, etc. melanoma. In episode 55, we discussed that Short-term PO steroids carry risks in children. Just one most impactful article. Could it also win best overall? And finally, in episode 56, we discussed gene expression profiles. You know, those things that uh, you can get from Castle Biosciences and so on that can help prognosticate your melanomas or diagnose them potentially. That's what this article discussed. Okay, the runner-up for best overall is psoriasis treatment improves mortality from episode 45. This was published in the JAD. Authors include Langley and Augustine. Uh, The title is Reduced Risk of Mortality Associated with Systemic Psoriasis Treatment in the Psoriasis Longitudinal Assessment and Registry, SOLAR, a nested case control analysis. This was a registry study of patients with psoriasis, and they discovered that biologic treatments and methotrexate were both protective against mortality biologics if you took them for at least three months and methotrexate for at least if you took them for at least 12 months in general some other info that came out of this was that psoriasis seems to reduce the lifespan by about five years likely due to systemic inflammation and it's worse with more severe disease so i know a lot of the medications are expensive but look they're saving lives and finally the best overall article of 2021 It's Gene Expression Profiles from episode 56. Yay! So hopefully this isn't a conflict of interest because the first author does have a faculty appointment here at the University of Utah, Doug Grossman. There was a very large group of people who worked on this one, published in JAMA Dermatology. The title is Prognostic Gene Expression Profiling Cutaneous Melanoma, Identifying the Knowledge Gaps and Assessing the Clinical Benefit. And the basic takeaway is don't use gene expression profiling. The authors had a lot of concerns about the currently commercially available tests. So, for example, they aren't necessarily robust enough, even though they have done some studies, perhaps not enough. We also aren't sure that anything beyond what we already have with the AJCC staging system. The companies are being a bit cagey with the data. The interpretation is often binary. So it will say this is low risk or this is high risk. And when you reduce a complicated set of information into just two categories, you lose a lot of that information, which could probably be important. And of course, 
There are major commercial conflicts of interest with these tests. The authors don't really say you should never use them, though in my case that's probably true, but you should do so only in the context of like a tumor board or if you are extremely familiar with the test and able to parse it and discuss it intelligently with the patient. So congratulations to this large working group for publishing a great article and winning Best Overall Article in the 2021 Dermy Awards! Yay! Yay! That is all. Congratulations to all of our winners this year. And uh, I suppose in a couple weeks, we might be talking about some more potential winners for 2022. So exciting. Well, we're so glad everyone was able to join us tonight. I hope you guys get to go home and enjoy your Dermy Awards. And hopefully this was informative and fun. After party's going to be at Michelle's place. So just show up. No need to RSVP or text her beforehand. <laughs> Thank you, audience, both the uh, in-person physical audience in the giant award stadium and to those listening at home for hanging out with us today. And thanks, of course, to our institutions. Thanks to the University of Utah Department of Dermatology for supporting the podcast. And thanks to Texas Tech for lending us Michelle. And thanks to Ryan Carlisle, medical student who's applying this year and a member of Team Dermosphere who keeps our social media accounts buzzing along. Yes, you can find us on Twitter Instagram, and Facebook. And if you really like hearing our voices, then you can listen to our other podcast too. Michelle, you want to tell them about SkinCast? SkinCast is our public-facing podcast. It's much shorter than Dermosphere. It's about 15 to 20 minutes, and it's catering towards lay people who just want to learn more about how to take the very best care of the skin they're in. And so these are episodes that we produce also twice uh, a month that is on an alternating schedule with Dermosphere, and it's hopefully educational, informative, and fun for lay people. And remember, you can find our entire archives, including the other Dermy Awards ceremonies, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on our website, dermospherepodcast.com. And you can also just see a list of the winners if you go to favorites and click on that. And without further ado, we will see you guys in 2022!